Well, hello, hello, hello. Thanks for tuning into this, the fourth episode of Career Podcast with Audrey Prenzel. Today, I'm covering what you need to know before, during, and after your job interview as you are nearing the end of your terms of service with the Canadian Armed Forces or for veterans who are already released from the military. And of course, like most of my military to civilian podcasts, aka Mill to Civ, these are also geared towards other people who support you in your transition. Who am I talking about? Well, learning center advisors or those affiliated with the BPSO, WPSO, SCAN seminar coordinators, VAC case managers, MFRCs, Agilic community employment centers, the occasional independent career practitioner, and spouses and partners. <laughs> All of them. And in fact, this is a deeper dive than what I cover about interviews in the SCAN seminars that I present at. Stepping aside from all of these acronyms, this information is also relevant for people who come from other militaries such as US, UK, or Australia. So let's figure out where we're at. At this point, you've either pulled the pin and you're already out, or you're on the countdown to your final release day in the Canadian Armed Forces. Your cover letter and resume are good to go. Your LinkedIn profile's done. You've selected your professional references. You've actively been networking and applying for jobs. And then it happens. You get the call. We've had a look at your resume, and we'd love to invite you in for an interview. Now what? The first one or two or maybe even first five job interviews are going to be important. There are both speaking and content points you're going to have to stick handle. To start, you're probably nervous. Being nervous is normal, but there's really no need to be over-the-top nervous. I always tell people to approach it as if it's just a fact-finding mission. They're learning stuff about you. You're going to be learning stuff about them. Consider yourself on equal ground. When you get this nervousness out of the way, this allows you to process critical information you need to embark on the second career process. Before you even show up, as in when you get the call or email, pay attention to any particulars that you learn, such as who's going to be there interviewing you. For example, is it the HR person? Is it a technical team lead? Sometimes it's even the person who has the job right now that you're applying for. Maybe they're leaving for whatever reason. Figure out, if you can, the length of time projected for the interview and anything that you might have to bring. And sometimes I'll even tell you the type of interview you're going to have. They might tell you to come a few minutes early or to fill in some paperwork. Or sometimes you have to answer short essay type pieces for the screening process. Gather critical documents that you may need, like your cover letter, resume, reference sheet. Sometimes it's an application form or Sometimes it's a portfolio. I should add here that, of course, it's also appropriate to have some of this material electronically available via your phone so that you can forward them PDF copies as soon as you're done. Unless otherwise told, arrive about five minutes early, as in five minutes before you're supposed to start. If you're unsure at all about 
was things like where to park or how to actually find the office in a large multi-level building, you might want to do a test run or day or two in advance. It's not wrong to show up early to the site in general. Just don't actually walk into the interview space until five minutes before. They're busy, they have stuff going on, and they could be trying to finish up with another candidate. It just makes things awkward. So five minutes, that's the general rule. Make sure you're dressed appropriately and neatly. It's nice when they give you the heads up about what the dress is. So for example, something like business casual. If they tell you that, listen to that, pay attention, dress accordingly. It's pretty much standard anymore. You don't wear cologne or perfume as because technically this is a health and safety issue because you have environmental sensitivities experienced by some people. It actually extends to fragranced products. So even things like deodorant or skin cream or hairspray fall into this category. Just assume most places have a fragrance-free policy in effect, and you can't go wrong. Please remember to acknowledge everyone when you come in. Even just smile at people as you pass them in a hall. Always be nice to everyone. <laughs> Over the years, I have heard repeatedly from decision makers who learned after interviews that candidates were either dismissive to their office staff, or in one case, someone was rude to an office administrator and it happened to be the boss's spouse. They've even been gossiping in the bathroom about the corporate CEO on the phone with someone just before their job interview, not knowing that that exact corporate CEO they're talking about was in the stall next to them. <laughs> you can imagine how that went. That interview went down the toilet before it even started. Remember to sit up straight when you're in the waiting area. Don't slouch when you're in the interview room either. Don't cross your arms or your legs. Crossed arms means you look defensive. Crossed legs usually means you look like you're too relaxed and aren't taking it seriously. When you meet the interviewers, just say their names back to them the way they say them to you. Hi, Bob. Nice to meet you. Or, hi, Mr. Smith. Nice to meet you. Or, Angela. We spoke on the phone. What a pleasure to meet you. Just repeat back how they say their names to you. Easy breezy. Please omit that sir and ma'am stuff. When I say I'm Audrey to somebody, I expect them to say, hey, Audrey, nice to meet you. Don't ma'am me. It's usually standard practice to do the so-called small talk, but rest assured, everything must have a purpose. So tell us about yourself is one of the most common ways an interview is started. Regardless of how nonchalant they make this question seem, it is not casual. This is a chance to start building value right from the get-go. They don't want to know where you're born or what pets you have. Ultimately, they want to know what you can do for them. So that's what you're going to feed them. This tell me about yourself phrase, use the PAGE acronym to tackle this question or request. P-A-G-E. P, personality. Share some details about your nature. A, achievements. Indicate relevant achievements or accomplishments. G, goals. Tell them what you want to do within their company or organization. See how you're kind of making this about them? E, education and experience. Briefly tell them the most relevant points from your training and work history. 
let's look at a possible answer for this PAGE acronym in use for someone in a financial support position. Here we go. Thanks for inviting me here. To start, I'm regarded as an extremely well-organized and detail-oriented individual who thrives with the opportunity to work with administration, spreadsheets, and budgets. In my current position at, say the base name or wing, name, I've developed a proprietary tracking method that kept better tabs on our section's invoices, RFPs, and expenses. So working leanly, finding efficiencies, is something I'm absolutely known for. I understand with this expansion that you're currently planning and hiring for, you could use somebody who could take charge of your administrative and financial planning. My qualifications include senior most level financial administrative clerk credentials through the military, as well as nine years of experience in a relevant high volume capacity. Bingo. Done. That's your PAGE acronym in practice. From there, they'll probably go right into behavioral-based questions. The behavioral-based interview is a standard style of interviewing that companies often use to screen or eliminate candidates. The premise is this. The most accurate predictor of future performance is past performance in a similar situation. Now, I didn't make this up. This has been around for a long time. I'm just explaining it here for you because it's usually the go-to in all or part of any job interview. So the key to succeeding in these interviews, and what I mean succeeding, I mean being either invited to a subsequent interview or being offered the job, the key is preparation. Failing to plan is planning to fail. This goes for anybody, not just soon to be released military people or veterans. This advice goes for everybody. So here's how it goes. Instead of asking, what would you do? The interviewer says, name a situation when, or tell me a time when. The best model to answer these behavioral interview questions is to use the SAR model. S-A-R. Situation, action, result. Sometimes people use the CAR acronym. Same idea. Challenge, action, result. I'll use SAR. The situation means what was going on. The action refers to what did you do to tackle the problem? The result is what was the bottom line from your initiative in response to the problem? I found that people are actually pretty good at saying what the problem was, and they're also pretty good at saying what they did about it. But then they shut up. They figure the interviewer will be able to put two and two together. Don't make people try and guess what happened. The value proposition lies in the result. Let's look at a few sample behavioral interview questions. Tell us about a time you had to go the extra mile to please a customer. That one's very common. Give us an example of how you recently developed rapport with someone under very trying circumstances. Provide us with a recent example of how you successfully dealt with a very stressful situation. Tell us about a time when your supervisor didn't support you. Explain the time you worked in a group to achieve a goal. What was the goal you were trying to accomplish and what was your role? How was the group able to achieve the goal? Sometimes you're going to have multi-part questions and that fifth one was an example of that. I'll add that they'll quite often start it 
by saying, from your resume, give me an example of whatever they want to know. So know your resume inside out. Sometimes, and I'm telling you this because sometimes people send out the resume one, two, three, five months before. They just send it out nonstop. They don't review it. They forget what they put in it. So let's walk through an example here. Somebody could read out an achievement, which would be a bullet from your resume, and they're going to actually read it out so that other people in the panel can hear what this achievement is. Upon arrival at the unit, instituted innovative measures and protocols to address a long-standing, disgruntled, unproductive workforce with high absenteeism, compromised environmental disposal adherence, and a backlog of formal grievances. So that was an achievement from a resume. I'll read that to you again. Upon arrival at the unit, institute innovative measures and protocols to address a long-standing, disgruntled, unproductive workforce with high absenteeism, compromised environmental disposal adherence, and a backlog of formal grievances. So from this, the question they could ask would be, tell us about how you reversed a negative workplace situation. Right. I had just been posted in from an East Coast base. I had been told by both my career manager and my supervisor at my last posting that I was specifically selected for this position due to my history of implementing change to reverse underperforming workforces. Knowing this, I wasn't overly surprised to see the mess I walked into. The first thing I did was conduct a needs assessment. I watched what was happening. I met with every single person to take stock of their viewpoint by actively listening. I gathered all of the administration I could find about the grievances and absenteeism, and I also spoke with the health and safety inspectors about that environmental disposal concerns. Once I had a grasp of the gravity of the situation, I called everyone together for a meeting. I reviewed my findings, indicated what changes I'd be implementing, and I told them why. I also opened up the floor to hear any of their own concerns or comments. Because of the open forum, there were a few issues I was able to resolve right then and there, such as complaints of some of the people leaving work early or skimping on paperwork. Everyone heard the same message at the same time from me, the decision maker. There were no questions about what was or was not supposed to happen. For some of the more complex matters, though, I again met with individuals or sometimes two or three people if there were still grievances that need to be resolved. It took about 10 weeks or so of due diligence on my part in ensuring that the right systems were in place and teams were supported instead of being chastised, which is what had actually happened with the previous supervisor. I introduced a few more physical fitness initiatives like volleyball and golf tournaments, and I had a special lunch provided for all staff, including the federal government workers and unionized folks on the last Thursday of each month. My aim was to bring in a bit more positivity into the workplace like every one of my positions, I was consistently visible, approachable, and helpful. I couldn't have been more pleased with the results. There were no further grievances. Productivity significantly boosted. 
all protocols for environmental health and safety were adhered to without exception. And I even witnessed members checking up on each other to make sure that they were complying. I was also pleased to see there was a little bit more camaraderie. I've repeatedly addressed situations like this throughout my career, and that's central to why I've been assigned to the positions I have. I'm ready to do the same quality change management integration for you. That's your SAR, your situation, action, result. Some people actually say the situation was, the action I took was, the result was. You can. I just don't think it's very sophisticated. I prefer a more organic approach to sharing your situation, action, result. If I were you, I'd judge it a bit to make it sound more naturally flowing. Quite often, people will ask me, Audrey, how do you know what they're going to ask? I mean, no one really knows for sure, but at my stage of the game, I can give some pretty educated guesses. You're going to know the core competencies of what they need in this job. You saw it in the job ad. Use these core competencies to help you prepare for your interview. Based on the type of position you're interviewing for, you could have examples mapped out of how you solved the problem or dealt with difficult clients or coworkers or utilized your organizational skills in a time-sensitive situation or motivated an underperforming team or introduced better health and safety procedures. Use what's in the job ad as the basis for what they're going to ask you about and then have SAR, situation, action, result answers mapped out for each of these central points that you find in the job ad. Look at the each core competency with the lens. What could go wrong and how could I fix it? Listen, you know your job. You know your industry. Otherwise, you wouldn't be interviewing for this position if you didn't think you could do the job. What's the weakest link in these core competencies? Is it a people problem? Is it a technology problem? Is it a logistics problem? Is it an administrative problem? Again, your resume should serve as a good guide when answering these questions. Even though you grab them from your resume, I'd also have two or three examples for every one of these core competencies. This way, you're ready to borrow from one if you need to answer another type of question unexpectedly. Sometimes the questions are a little blurry, and one example you thought you'd use to answer one type of question is actually better suited for something else they've just asked you right now. So what I'm saying is, is don't just have one SAR, situation, action, result, example, mapped out for problem solving. Have three. Have three examples for improved communications or three examples for critical incident response. That's what you need to do. A good answer could be anywhere between five to 10 minutes. This is why I asked you to take stock at the beginning of this episode, if you can learn how long the interview is going to be. If they didn't tell you, and they don't always, I'd certainly ask. I don't think there's any harm in asking. You could phrase it something like, great, thank you. Can you tell me how long the interview is planned for? Just something simple like that. Here's the deal. If you know, let's say you have 45 minutes and you're still going strong at the 55 minute mark and you've captivated your audience, that's a good sign. 
If, on the other hand, you have 45 minutes and they're ushering you out the door at the 12-minute mark, I hate to tell you, but something went wrong. So just use it as a gauge as you go along. Be aware that sometimes they may do the good cop, bad cop scenario or somebody playing the role, trying to be rude. The other one's trying to be super sweet. These are just games and sometimes companies do it. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes there's actually people on the interview panel who don't look up, don't look at you, pretend they're not interested, pretend they're bored out of their minds and they don't want to be there. I'm just saying sometimes this happens. So stay focused throughout any of these situations and you'll be fine. Sometimes it's just a game. Know the rules. Keep playing. You've got this. So here's a tip for those of you who are confident or when you feel like you've just really nailed an answer well. If you've given your answer in the SAR situation action result format, and you want to add a little more punch, listen up. Casually mention a final value add. They can't live without you clinch your sentence. Here's some examples. After you've gone through your situation, action, result, answer. I'm hopeful that's the caliber of project management expertise your company values. Or what about My research tells me that your company operates with a similar approach to resolve deeply embedded conflict between management and your unionized workforce. Or, from what I understand, your plant's quality control standards are in sync with the actions I took and the results they yielded. Or, I'm confident the methods I used to seamlessly roll out the new software nationwide could easily be duplicated for your five sites on the East Coast. If you want to make it more of a question, you could say something like, is saving $130,000 from the annual operating budget without hampering quality or safety something your company could benefit from? You would ask a question like this, assuming the situation, action, and result you just shared detailed how you, in fact, saved $130,000 from an annual operating budget. This is absolutely a question they can't say no to. You're basically taking whatever the core competency is they're asking you about in the interview question, and you're integrating it into one, just one sentence that ties your achievement with their needs. In these examples, it was project management, conflict resolution, quality control, new software launches, and fiscal prudence. You're giving them undeniable, non-arguable proof that you can meet their needs. There is no possible way that they can say no or disagree with any of these phrases, unless you are completely out to lunch with their needs. But I know you've been listening to the previous podcast, so I'm confident you're on the right track. Either before or after behavioral-based questions or sometimes interspersed throughout, you may have a few more interview questions thrown your way. These are usually standalone questions like, what's your greatest strength? 
Resist the urge to reel off a long list of broad strengths. Choose a strength of yours that goes well with this specific role you're interviewing for and for the company. Provide anecdotes if you can and share them in the context of a real-life scenario. What is your greatest weakness or what is a weakness of yours? Don't be cute. Don't be funny. Don't say chocolate. People really do say chocolate. Also, don't try to do that famous, air quote, mask a strength as a weakness thing and air quote. Like, oh, sometimes I work so late or I work too hard. I just don't know how to quit or I get caught up in all the details. Come on, you're really saying that you're just working hard and you don't stop and you're detail-oriented. Don't insult them. Don't waste their time. Don't insult yourself. Don't embarrass yourself. (laughs) Think of something that you've been working on. Be honest. Be authentic. Here's an example. I haven't always been the best at remembering people's names. I have, however, developed a mnemonic recollection strategy that can help most of the time. Sometimes, though, honestly, I simply have to say, I'm sorry, I forget your name. Can you tell it to me again, please? And then I note it in a memo section of my phone. That's authentic. That tracks. Here's another one. And this one is with actually a younger engineer I was coaching. He spoke way too quickly and he'd get all excited and he'd get caught up in his projects he was telling me about. And he thought everyone else could follow along as he's going a thousand miles an hour. His voice would actually get higher and higher and faster and faster. He would go up at the end of each sentence. He was so fast, and I I thought he was going to take flight. In linguistic terms, they call it high-rise terminal. It's called upspeak. Anyway, whatever you want to call it. As I was helping him prepare for the famous question, what is your weakness? He's telling me he doesn't have any weaknesses. (laughs) Me being me, I'm like, well, I'm so glad we're talking, because here's what I've noticed. And I told him he had no clue. He actually seemed irritated with me and wondered why his colleagues had never told him this. I said, listen, it's not your teammate's job to correct you. It's your job to correct you. In this case, you paid me, so I'm correcting you. So let's do it now. So here's the answer to the question that we formulated about tell me a weakness you have. And he used it. And he actually got the job. Here's what he said. Over the span of my career thus far, I've realized that I tend to speak too quickly. I'm working hard now to purposefully slow down my pace, despite the fact that it seems painfully slow to me. I take this seriously enough, though, that I've hired a speaking coach to help me. So when I do presentations or chair meetings, or when I attend industry events, I sound better. I'm easier to listen to and chat with. Listen, I don't know anyone better than me with my mechanical engineering skill set, but as I progress through my career, I have a greater appreciation for soft skills such as this, and that's why I'm working on it. Yeah, that lands, right? He got the job. In terms of the strength and weakness questions, I would expect them. They're pretty standard. And if you're in potentially the running for a situation where you know there's going to be one or more interviews in the selection process, 
these are usually going to be thrown at you in that very first interview. So I don't think there's any need for you to be caught off guard. I would absolutely expect these. For any of these questions that you're asked in an interview, if you need a second or two to think about it, and it's okay, look down, not up. When we look up, others tend to think we're making things up. When we look down, it's perceived more as reflecting. Towards the end of the interview, when they ask, do you have any questions for us? Always have questions. Let's go over some of them. I'll shoot you some now just to get you started, and this will help you prepare. If you want to gain more insight into the company's corporate culture and management style, you could ask something like, what was the last change you implemented based on employee feedback, and what impact did it have? What opportunities does this company offer for professional development? How often does your facility promote from within? What would be my key priorities within the first six months? This is your opportunity to mention any action you've taken to demonstrate your ability to fill that need, by the way. Who does this position report to? And if I'm offered this position, can I meet with him or her? How many people work in this office or department? How much travel is expected? What's your work from home or telecommuting policy? How many hours in your typical work week is overtime expected? What do you like about working here? Where do you see the company going in the next few years? You need to make sure that their agenda matches with your own development goals. If the organization appears stagnant and you don't see much room for any sort of professional development, you should ask yourself if this is really the company that you want to work for. If we developed a philosophical difference, how would you resolve it? This answer offers insight into the manager's communication style and the manager's ability to resolve conflict. So it's a good question. I think it's one of the most important questions. <laughs> what would you like to see done differently by the next person who holds this position? Are there any other questions I can answer for you to address any doubts you have about me? If we were to fast forward and assume that I've been working here for a year and I've received an excellent performance review, what are the things I will have done during the 12 months to earn that? So those were some example questions you could ask. I would say have a few all ready to go in your arsenal when you enter this phase of the interview as the interview is drawing to a close. You want more than one because some of these questions may actually be covered throughout the interview. Let's talk about things you shouldn't ask. These are true questions that have been asked. What does this company do? I just can't even. <laughs> if I get the job, when can I take time off for vacation? Come on, wait until you get a job offer to mention any prior traveling commitments. Can I change my schedule if I get the job? I like leaving early on Fridays. <sighs> Probably not. <laughs> Are the rumors I heard about the boss true? I don't know. I don't know. People ask these. Can I bring my cat to work with me? She doesn't like to be home by herself all day. Um, probably not. Do you monitor internet usage and sites visited? That's scary. How many sick days can I use a month? They'll probably tell you to leave right then and there if you ask that. Do you check our bags when we leave each day? Yeah, 
a woman asked that once in an interview locally. That's funny. How strict are you with employees showing up on time? Wow. Did I get the job? Did I get the job just shows excitement. It's not horrible. But they're going to tell you whether you got the job or not. So what else makes sense for you to have some more insight about? If you're interviewing at a veteran-friendly company, perhaps something like aerospace or logistics or a defense community, then obviously they understand the intrinsic value you bring. But the thousands of men and women in the Canadian Armed Forces, and some from the U.S. military I've helped over the years, they told me some incidents that caught them off guard, though. With your cover letter and your resume, and assuming it was already strategically written, you shouldn't have to find yourself in a position where you have to say something like, why, yes, the Canadian Armed Forces does have postal workers or human resource administrators or musicians or photographers or flight attendants or dentists. <laughs> you and I know it's basically everything anyone would have in a town, only it's in a base or a wing. Naturally, Bases and wings have to operate in a self-sufficient context so that they have the capability to be deployed or respond to humanitarian issues or natural disasters around the world, as well as take care of all their members. A tooth can be chipped in Afghanistan as easily as it can be chipped in Gagetown. Mail has to be sent to members anywhere in the world. Members need medical help regardless of where they're working on the planet at any given day of the year. Soon to be released members of the military and veterans have actually been asked questions like, have you killed anybody? How many people have you shot? Wow, can you operate a tank? How many types of airplanes can you fly? What's it like to go to work every day with a camouflaged face? So I guess you must have PTSD, eh? Let me guess. If you tell me, you'll have to kill me. So, these questions were asked to human resources administrators, dental technicians, and postal clerks. Because of what TV shows and movies sensationalize with the war and the media covers, this is what everyone thinks everyone in the military does. They don't even think about these other support positions because they don't know about them. <laughs> I don't know if too many action movies involving HR folks or dental techs or postal clerks. Hey, listen, I've got my keyboard. You take them down with the dental floss and I'll just put stamps on them. Yeah, that just doesn't happen. So, so what do you do with this? Here's my advice. Number one, remain calm and cool. I know it's absurd, but in Canada, people are just not aware of what the Canadian Armed Forces do. Literally, I've been giving in presentations in little towns like, I don't know, let's say Toronto. And I've been giving presentations nothing to do with the military. But when I say I'm from Trenton, Ontario, I always mention it. I always say it's got Canada's largest Air Force base. 90% of the people in my audience, and these are smart people, they've never heard of it. They don't know. They'll say, when I'm saying I'm from Trenton, Canada's largest Air Force base, 
they'll say something like, oh, wow, so you're from an army town. What? I wish I was joking about this, but I wasn't. You may have to harness the patience of a saint. Just remain nice and understand that you're going to have to explain a few things. This not only involves interviews, but of course, general networking, knee-jerk reactions such as, are you serious or you've got to be kidding me, don't go well. And I'm telling you this because more than one veteran or soon-to-be-released or recently-released Canadian Armed Forces person has said this. If, by chance, you are aware of a veteran who's already working for the company you're applying for, and maybe the selection committee isn't aware of it, it's certainly okay, after explaining what you do, to say something like, in fact, My friend Wally, who steers your finance department, I worked alongside Wally at CFB Edmonton. Small world, right? He enjoys it here, and that's one of the many reasons why I threw my hat in the ring for this opportunity. This instantly gives a real-life example of how well someone from the military can integrate successfully into their workspace. You'll be able to see, literally, the cloud of mystery dissolve. My final point here is about money. Please don't be the first to bring up salary. That does not mean it's not important. Just don't be the first. You want to deflect it as long as possible. The idea is that you want to create value and then you can go for the bigger ask. Sometimes they may casually ask you at the beginning of the interview, so how much are you looking to make? Don't take that bait. Respond with something like, if it's all right with you, I'd like to learn a little bit more about the opportunity before I confidently answer. That seems fair, doesn't it? It's pretty hard to disagree with that. If they ask you what you made in the military or what your military pension is, 100%, None of their business has zero bearing on what they should or should not be paying you. I'll leave you with that. I'll be discussing salary and benefits negotiations in the next podcast. But I just want to plant this seed now, though, because sometimes you'll be asked this. The only time when you should straight up answer is if it's a recruiter, a search firm person, and they need to know your absolute number. So this, of course, would be well-researched ahead of time. Still. Nobody needs to know how much you made in the military and what any of the regular or medical pensions you have are worth. It is none of their business. Please know that. On the same day you've had your interview, send a thank you note. It can be an email. If you do want to do the hard copy card, that's fine. But anymore, there's nothing wrong with an email. And it's faster, and you know it's going to get there. Try and get everyone's names and emails in on that email. Thank them for their consideration. And I'd probably remind them of one key attribute that you bring to the job that they're looking for. And reiterate that again in the message. And still let them know you want to work for their company. We are talking no more than four sentences. Most people... Do not follow up at all with a thank you. You can never go wrong by saying thank you, ever. And now, I'm going to say thank you 
for tuning in to Career Podcast with Audrey Prenzel. Please feel free to share this podcast with someone else who you think could benefit from it. Leave comments and, of course, hit subscribe. If you'd like a PDF copy of my book, Military to Civvy Street, e-transfer $20 to audrey.prenzel at gmail.com and I'll send you the link to download it. Although I'm not writing so much anymore, I am available for one-to-one coaching and advisement to help you achieve your career transition goals. Email me, audrey.prenzel at gmail.com. Of course, you're welcome to follow me and message me on Instagram and Twitter. Look for Audrey Prenzel. Life can be challenging. Until our next episode, purposefully take good care of yourself.